Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... It's so much more than just a profile picture. At Catholic Singles, our platform offers you many opportunities to get to know the person behind the picture. Sign up today at catholicsingles.com. Good News Ministries of GNM.org. It's the Catholic place for growing your faith. Good News Ministries will provide you with faith-building reflections, virtual retreats, prayer resources, and lots more. All of it is free. Visit gnm.org today. Welcome to the Future Church. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is my analysis of John Allen's 2009 book, which looks forward to the Catholic Church in the 21st century and analyzes 10 different global trends which are actually going to influence the Catholic Church in the 21st century. We've gone through uh, these chapters uh, step by step, not taking a podcast for each one, but conflating some of them together. Now we're at the ninth episode in which we are going to summarize and draw together these different trends. I'm then going to take the 10th episode to reflect on what this actually means, where we are right now in 2019, especially as I'm finishing this series in the month of October, uh, as the Amazonian Synod in the Vatican comes to a conclusion. The things that have gone on in the Amazonian Synod have been disturbing for many. They've been controversial, uh, but they also are a clear indication of a fulfillment of the predictions that John Allen made in his book in many ways, and we'll be analyzing that in the 10th and final episode. But first, in this ninth episode, I'd like to remind you why I made this podcast to start with. First of all, I realize that many Catholics, especially of a conservative nature here in the United States, are confused and worried and upset by things that are going on in the church. Uh, confused, worried, and upset about the financial corruption in the Vatican, the continued scandals of sex abuse in the church, and the cover-ups that have gone with it. Also, uh, the ambiguity and the confusion of Pope Francis's teaching and the teaching of those cardinals who are around him who seem to be pr- pushing a progressive and even a globalist agenda for the church, one which doesn't seem to hold hands with the Christian gospel. So I'll be analyzing that in the 10th episode more, but I also wanted to remind you that I've recorded this podcast along with the 23-part series Triumphs and Tragedies, which is a history of the Catholic Church in 23 episodes, basically one episode per century. And I recorded these two because I wanted Catholics to understand where we've been in the Catholic Church uh, and to realize that we've had similar problems in the past and we've survived it thanks to the Holy Spirit, and to reflect, therefore, Uh, in the Future Church podcast on where we are, why we're where we are, and what it looks like for the future. So now in this ninth episode, I'd like to summarize John's findings and uh, draw them all together so that in the next and final episode, episode 10, we'll be able to reflect a little bit more specifically on exactly where we are now 
uh, and what to do about it. I hope that you'll tune in, and I hope if you like these podcasts that you'll share them with others. Remember that the podcasts are going out free of charge in an abridged version on Breadbox Media so that everybody can listen. Uh, And also there's a more full-length analysis at my blog, Standing on My Head. And if you're listening in the abridged version, you can go over there and subscribe to my blog and help to support my work, but also get a more full-length analysis of each chapter in this series, The Future Church. We draw together the different strands that John Allen had predicted about the church in the 21st century, and he gathers these together under four categories, global, uncompromising, Pentecostal, and extroverted. In these four categories, John is giving a general description of what the church in the 21st century is going to look like. Once again, his predictions are pretty much spot on in a general way, but the specifics are sometimes um, not exactly right. Sometimes he gets it a little bit wrong. Sometimes he gets it very wrong. And sometimes he gets it very, very right in a way that he could not have predicted in just 10 short years after he wrote the book. So the first category that John is dealing with is called global. He says not only is multipolarism a trend in international relations, it also describes the Catholic future. The global north in the church is not going away. And places such as Paris, Barcelona, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Toronto, to say nothing of Rome, will continue to be important centers of Catholic thought and life. Theologians and activists in the North will continue to command a disproportionate share of resources, allowing them to wield tremendous influence on the Catholic conversation worldwide. However, he goes on to point out that increasingly, as the 21st century moves along, we're going to see the influence of the Catholics in the developing world. The emergence of a world church will feature a rising southern tide, that is, uh, Catholics in Latin America, Africa, and an eastern tide uh, of the Catholics in India, China, the Philippines, and the Far East. Now, what does this global church look like? Again, John draws on some of the different conclusions that he made, uh, and he pulls out some predictions. This global church will be morally conservative. Across much of the global south, he says, there's a mainstream social consensus on the issues that shape the culture wars in the West, such as abortion and homosexuality, and that consensus is vigorously shared by most Southern Catholics, both at the leadership level and amongst the grassroots. Combined with a strong defense of traditional Catholic identity that's part of evangelical Catholicism, the Southern Consensus makes the chance of any significant revision in Catholic teaching on the hot-button issues of sexual morality virtually zero. In other words, when it comes to issues like abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, uh, the illegitimacy of homosexuality, the church in the South, this global church, uh, is going to be morally conservative. It's going to be biblically based, it's going to be traditionally based, and reject uh, these immoral innovations, which seem so uh, important and seem to loom so large in the Catholic discussions in the United States and Europe. But while this global church is morally conservative, John Allen reminds us that it's likely to be uh, liberal on social justice issues. Large majorities of the Catholics in the South are poor, and they are going to be combating economic injustice in a towering pastoral priority. Southern bishops, he says, tend to talk about the World Bank and the IMF the way northern bishops talk about Planned Parenthood as being the church's main enemy. We're seeing this, of course, in the papacy of uh, Pope Francis, which uh, came in after John wrote his book, 
in which Pope Francis is highly suspicious of the economic programs of the United States, the the economic aggression uh, of multinational companies and the big uh, rich players in the world who control the world economy. So already with Pope Francis, we're seeing this emphasis on a more liberal approach to social justice. This global church will also be uh, biblically based. John points out that for most Southern Catholics, the Bible, rather than the Catechism of the Catholic Church or the Code of Canon Law, is the touchstone for their faith. Higher criticism is restricted to small intellectual elite, and many Southern Catholics would qualify as biblical literalists by Northern standards. Preaching and catechesis are structured according to the biblical narratives and images, and therefore this church, this global church rising from the South will be uh, conservative theologically uh, in their rooting their faith in the plain words of Scripture. That also shows the influence, which John is going to talk about later, uh, in uh, about the influence of the Pentecostals and the Evangelicals uh, all across Latin America, certainly, uh, and also in Africa and the Far East. This global church will be concerned with pluralism, he says, not secularism. Uh, the trend that dominates the policy setting level of the church today is to some extent a reaction against the inroads of Western secularism. Therefore, uh, this global church will be um, diverse in many ways, but it will not uh, be interested in, in forging any friendship with secularism. This global church is young and optimistic. In terms of demography, uh, the global south is considerably younger uh, and stronger than the north. 43% of the population of sub-Saharan Africa, for example, is under 14 years of age. The Catholic Church across the south feels those demographics. It's a surprisingly youthful feel and an energetic feel, therefore, of the church in the south, as opposed to the increasingly graying and aging uh, Catholic Church in the north and in Western Europe. Also, and this is very important to remember, John points out that this global church will feel alien to Europeans and Americans. Under Southern influence, Catholicism will be driven to provide a greater scope for indigenous spiritual practices, reverence for ancestors and folk religion, and this will seem uh, alien to American and uh, European Catholics. We're already seeing this. Uh, In the next episode, I'll be talking in more detail about the Amazonian Synod, but in the Amazonian Synod, we're seeing an enculturation of the Catholic faith, uh, and that into the into the native religions and culture, and that relig- culture being brought right to the doorstep of Rome and being celebrated uh, as part of Catholicism. And some of the upset that we've seen and some of the controversy we've seen is related to that very um, point that this kind of Catholicism, the Catholicism of the Amazon, the Catholicism of African villages, the Catholicism of uh, India and Vietnam and, and China and the Far East, will increasingly seem alien to western and north to western um attitudes and uh, western uh, prejudices and therefore those of us here in the west will have to be able to discern and sift through these cultural advances and these cultural challenges as they come to us well the second category of four that john talks about is uh, that this new church of the 21st century will be uncompromising it'll be uncompromising in various different ways first of all it's likely to be more doctrinally traditional catholicism innovates theologically from a position of strength under threat it reasserts traditional teachings and generates new pastoral models to defend them well 
Whether it's going to be doctrinally traditional or not is, again, uh, one of the things where, where that John might have gotten wrong as we're looking at things today. He was writing in 2009 when Pope Benedict was still in, in on the throne. And at that point, what John calls evangelical Catholicism, which is doctrinally and liturgically conservative, seemed to be on the rise. Now with Pope Francis, uh, we're seeing that it seems to be on the, to be waning or at least to be on the defensive. Therefore, whether the church in the 21st century is doctrinally traditional remains to be seen. Another pope may come along after Pope Francis, which changes it back. But at the moment, it seems to be moving in a direction of modernism and in a direction of ambiguity of teaching and uh, lacking clarity uh, and perhaps not being doctrinally traditional at all. This church, which is uncompromising, uh, John predicts, will be politically assertive. The evangelical impulse means that Catholicism is becoming bolder in the public realm, and we're certainly seeing that uh, in the inf- in the influence of Pope Francis, where he's uh, very aggressive in speaking out about his pet issues of crime and globalism and immigration and caring for the refugee and the poor and so forth, and he's really, really willing to speak out and speak up on those particular issues, and so do his followers as well. John says this uncompromising church will be deliberately different. One thrust of evangelical Catholicism is to emphasize those things that set Catholicism apart rather than those things which can be integrated uh, with the culture and with the secular world around us. This thrust also has implications for ecumenism and interfaith discussions, since it implies a church more concerned with defending its peculiarity than in finding common ground. Again, maybe John got it wrong because he couldn't predict Pope Francis, but Pope Francis also seems to be um, watering that down so that it is actually taking more of a view which is accommodating to the secular world around it. John says this uncompromising church will be dynamic and yet divided. Now there he really does have it about right because the division that we feel in the church is more emphasized now, I believe, than uh, than we can remember in our own lifetime. The liberal wing of the church and the conservative wing of the church are really functioning almost in a non-declared schism uh, in which we feel more and more that there are two religions operating under the same umbrella of the Catholic faith. The third of these four categories is that this global church will be Pentecostal. If you remember the episode on Pentecostalism, John is using this term to refer to generally to the charismatic movement and the evangelical movement in the Catholic Church. He says, by any measure, the fastest growing religious movement in the world is Pentecostalism. It represents 20% of all Christians on the earth, up from roughly 5% Uh, from the middle of the 20th century. And that charismatic movement is influencing the Catholic Church as well. What does it look like? That the Pentecostal movement means that the Church will be uh, focused on the supernatural in a way that it has not all during the uh, era of modernism. Angels, demons, possessions, and exorcisms, curses, and hexes uh, are all part of the worldview of Pentecostals, and not just the uneducated or the poor. The spirit world is tangible, close, and in direct force in human affairs. And this is an, partially an influence of folk religion and the um, indigenous cultures having an influence on the church. They connect much more actively with Pentecostalism because they already believe in the supernatural and angels and demons and, and possession and exorcisms and so forth. And so the Pentecostal aspect of the faith is going to uh, connect with the indigenous uh, religions and the indigenous cultures in a way that uh, modernist, intellectual, westernized Catholicism does not. 
This Pentecostalism in the church also will be prosperity-oriented. This is a simple way of saying that the, the prosperity preachers and the Pentecostal preachers are not ashamed of saying to their converts, God does not want you to be poor. There's no virtue in poverty. Uh, and if you join our church, we're going to help you to uh, make your life better, and your kids are going to be educated, you're going to find jobs, and, and there's prosperity waiting for you, because that's one of the abundant things that God and good life that God wants you to have. This is in... Uh, stark contrast to traditional Catholicism, which almost made a virtue of poverty that it was almost, you were almost good because you were poor, uh, and made poverty to sound like something which was blessed in itself. Of course, the gospels say that blessed are the poor in heart. Jesus is recognizing in that, that poor people know their need of God. But he's not saying that poverty in itself is is beneficial. And so uh, this Pentecostal emphasis will say that God wants you to have a good life. He wants you to be uh, prosperous and to, and to thrive. Uh, and uh, he wants you to use those um, gifts as good stewards, of course. But they're not ashamed to say that um, it's okay uh, to, to have a good life. And so this is another aspect of Pentecostalism. Another is that it will be entrepreneurial. Uh, the Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical Catholics don't wait to be asked, and they don't wait to be thanked. They get going and they start apostolates. They start radio shows. They start podcasts. They start blogs. Uh, they start new apostolates. They start new religious communities. They simply get on and with great zeal live the gospel and proclaim the gospel and get the gospel out there. And this entrepreneurial spirit, again, runs counter to the clericalism in classical Catholicism, runs counter to uh, the idea that everything has to be controlled by the bishop and the priests and the parish and the diocese. Instead, uh, Pentecostal uh, Catholics are getting up and simply doing things which cut right across all of that uh, with great energy and with great devotion uh, and with great zeal. That leads to the fourth category, um, the the fourth uh, subcategory here that Pentecostal Catholicism is lay-led. In other words, there's a big upsurge of lay people being involved in the church, lay people leading all these apostolates and getting involved, rolling up their sleeves and doing what they can for God. I happen to find this rather exciting. And uh, therefore, seeing this overall summary of the 21st century church, I don't feel pessimistic about it at all. I might feel pessimistic about German theologians and cardinals and bishops who are trying to turn the church uh, into some kind of a, a subcommittee of the United Nations, but I do not feel pessimistic when I look at the Pentecostal charismatic aspect of the church, the lay-led aspect of the church, and realize that from the grassroots up, God's Holy Spirit is working in the church, and, and something wonderful is happening in this uh, 21st century. The fourth category of John's summary is that the church will be extroverted. In other words, it's going to be outward looking. In all of these ways together, uh, the Catholic Church of the 21st century is going to be upbeat. It's going to be, um, as we've said, focusing on the supernatural. It's going to be conservative theologically. It's going to be engaged in social issues. It's also going to be engaged with Islam. It's going to be engaged with uh, the challenges of an aging population, uh, biotechnology, social justice, ecology, international relations. This young church of the South is going to be involved in evangelization and apologetics and is actually going to be very dynamic. But it will actually threaten and challenge our perceived and our accepted notions of Catholicism in the West. I'll be talking more about this in the 10th and final episode as we continue to um, think about John Allen's 
projections for the church, the Catholic Church in the 21st century. This is the end of the abridged version of the podcast. Uh, if you would like to tune into the full-length version, go over to my blog, DwightLongenecker.com. You can sign up as a donor, subscriber, listen to all of my podcasts, Triumphs and Tragedies, a 23-part series of the history of the Catholic Church, uh, my reading of Hilaire Bullock's uh, Characters of the Reformation, uh, my special podcast, Stories of the Unexpected, when I talk about the supernatural and the paranormal, uh, also uh, true fairy tales, uh, and much more. So go over there to DwightLongenecker.com and do sign up to be one of my donor subscribers and help to support my work. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of my podcasts here at Breadbox Media. But today I'm speaking to you about a different opportunity. In September 2020, I'll be leading a fantastic pilgrimage cruise from Rome to the Holy Land, and then on the way back, stopping at the cities of St. Paul, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, and more. While we're at sea, I'll be lecturing on the Gospels, history, or mystery. When we're on land, I'll invite you to join me as we visit all of the holy sites, celebrating Mass, worshiping together, and having a wonderful time of fellowship. If you'd like to know more about this pilgrimage cruise, Go to my website, DwightLongenecker.com, go to the right sidebar, and you'll see a picture there which invites you to get more information. Go to my website, DwightLongenecker.com, right sidebar, click on the picture of the cruise ship, and you'll get all the information you need. Alternatively, you can call the company that's organizing the tour at 800-247-0017, 800-247-0017. Ask for Farmalong and Ecker's Cruise to the Holy Land. Thanks for listening. Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.